where we'll be this evening, Acts chapter 23. Tonight I want to talk about a subject that, well, it's fascinating to me anyway, I like reading on this and studying kind of along the lines of human nature. Uh, the idea of the human conscience is a much discussed one. I believe that to some extent uh, we all want to listen to our conscience. The conscience... Uh, tells different people different things. We'll get into that. But uh, I do believe that everybody's desire, most people anyway, unless you're a complete reprobate, I think everybody wants to some extent listen to their conscience and do what they feel is right. Did you know that the United States Treasury has a conscience fund? I didn't know that till this week. Uh, in 1811, someone who defrauded the government uh, anonymously sent a $5 check to Washington, D.C., or check, yeah, whatever it was at that time, but sent $5 to Washington, D.C. Since that time, almost $3.5 million has been received by uh, the newly, when they, that came in, they formed the Conscience Fund. Uh, the gifts vary in size. One person in Massachusetts sent nine cents because she had reused a three-cent postage stamp several times. Now, that dates that time, probably, but uh, sent nine cents in to appease her conscience because she had reused a postage stamp. A person in New Jersey sent in $40,000 in several installments for having cheated on his taxes and did that just on his own. I think of the, this is a joke, this isn't a true story, but uh, the man that uh, had cheated on his taxes, so he sent the, $100 to the U.S. Treasury along with a letter saying that uh, I, I cheated on my taxes and I haven't been able to sleep since uh, that happened. And so here I'm sending $100 and if I still can't sleep, I'll send the rest of it. Uh, but everyone has a conscience. But not everyone's conscience is telling them the same thing. Well, I like one old adage that I read, the, the trouble with the advice, follow your conscience, is that most people follow their conscience like following a wheelbarrow. So they follow the wheelbarrow, but while they're doing it, they're directing it wherever they want it to go. And that's how some people follow their conscience. Uh, e. Venkatesh Havner wrote that there are seven types of consciences. The correct conscience is the first one he named, tells us when something is good or bad, just simply that. Uh, this decision is in agreement with what is the general consensus for right and wrong. Then he said there's the erroneous conscience, that is, someone that judges something incorrectly. When something is bad and, and uh, you call it good or something is good and you say that it is bad. By the way, this is a huge problem in our society today. The Bible talks about that in Isaiah 5.20. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, and put darkness for light and light for darkness, and put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Well, we have that going on in spades in this day and age. And then, thirdly, there's the certain conscience. That means that you're convic convinced without any doubt that an action is either good or bad. Then there's a doubtful conscience, which means that uh, you cannot choose between good and bad choices. Then he says there's a lax conscience. It means that you see no sin where there actually is sin. Then there's the scrupulous conscience. This is a conscience that judges that there is sin when there really is no sin. <laughs> That's a, 
I've met people like that. They call, you're doing something wrong when you're not even doing something wrong. Uh, or that judges something to be a mortal sin when it's actually just a, a venial sin. Now, I don't agree with that concept. That's his, again, not my uh, uh, definition. Then finally, he says there's a delicate conscience, one that judges correctly and with careful attention in acts about to be performed. So tonight, I want to talk about a conscience void of offense. Read with me. On We're only going to read the first verse. We're, uh, we'll look at the rest of Acts 23 next time, but I want to just look at that first verse. And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. A conscience void of offense. Father, I pray you'd help us this evening as we look at this passage for the next few minutes. May we learn some things from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul was confronted with the leaders of the Sanhedrin, and he announced here that he stood before them with a clear conscience. Even when he persecuted the church, he did it with a clear conscience, because back then he thought that was the right thing to do for God. And so in everything that he's done up to this point, he says he's done so in good conscience. A classic example of the fact that the conscience is a good goad, but a poor guide. Because not always was Paul's conscience telling him the right thing. But he lived as much best as he could by his conscience. The truth is that the Holy Spirit's work in conviction to bring the word of God uh, into our lives is what ought to develop our conscience. Apart from that, conscience can lead people to do some strange things. What exactly is a conscience? Well, somebody had defined it as a window that lets the light in. I want you to remember that because I want to refer to that several times in the light of Scripture. Uh, but a light that comes in a window simply reveals what's already there. It's not going to really change anything. It's just going to reveal what is already there. Even so, the conscience is one way that the Holy Spirit reveals the true condition of our hearts. One of the great tools he uses to do this is this book right here. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the word of God, he uses the word of God to drive in and sharpen our conscience. As we let the light of the word of God into our hearts, the Holy Spirit uses it to shape a good conscience for us. Now the Bible speaks about the conscience in several different passages. I'll let you uh, turn to these. If you want to go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, we'll be there in a moment, and that talks about the good conscience. Uh, again, in the verse we read, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Paul was not perfect by any means, but he did not allow sin to linger in his life. Paul practiced a good conscience toward others. He instructed Timothy to do the same so that his life would not come to ruin. Read with me in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. 
Have you ever seen somebody who's ignored their good conscience and made a shipwreck out of their lives? We probably all have. We see that Paul could honestly say that he served God with a pure conscience. Can you say that about your life? How you live and how you serve the Lord. He did not have ulterior motives in his ministry. In 2 Timothy 1.3 he says, I thank God uh, which, uh, whom I serve from my forefathers with a pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Someone has said there is no softer pillow than a good conscience. I don't know about you, but when things are right between me and my wife, and me and my Lord, and me and my family, I sleep better and uh, rest better. With all the burdens of life, we do not have room for the heavy weight of guilt and regret and a wounded conscience. A clear conscience doesn't only bring spiritual health, it actually brings a mental and emotional health to us, into our lives. Unconfessed sin brings a heaviness to your spirit. Uh, brokenness to your relationship. And these are burdens that God never intended for you to carry. We need to get those things right and move forward with our life. It is only through the grace of God, then, that we're able to resist sin and live with a good conscience. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly, in this present world. Now, some would look at this idea of a good conscience and think that just adhering to a list of do's and don'ts will guarantee you a good conscience. But, again, a conscience can be misleading. H.C. Trumbull said, Conscience tells us what we ought to do right, but it does not tell us what right is. That we are taught by God's word. So our conscience uh, is only valid in what it's learned from the Word of God. The conscience will, uh, you know, I have still have family members whose conscience would never allow them to drive a car. That's not a godly correct conscience, you know what I mean? So uh, we have to align it with the Word of God. So that's a good conscience. Then the Bible also speaks of a defiled conscience. If you go to Titus chapter 1 next, Titus chapter 1, the word defiled means dirty or made dirty. Titus chapter 1 verse 15, unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. This week in our cabin, uh, the boys had to be uh, reprimanded by their counselor because uh, someone was just making normal conversation and somebody else took a segment of his conversation, which was, it, which was innocent, and turned it into something dirty. You've been in that situation before, where something is, mis, uh, is made an innuendo. It wasn't meant to be that way. It was innocently said, but it was made to be an innuendo. That, I think, falls in under this verse right here. To the pure, all things are pure. But to a filthy, defiled mind, even good things can be twisted to be wicked. Back to our analogy of the conscience as a window through which the Holy Spirit shines a light. If we use that analogy, then the defiled conscience would be a window that's allowed to become dirty. 
And now it's filthy and dirty, so the conscience that once was pure and clean no longer receives the light of truth like it once did because we've allowed it to become really dirty. Light doesn't shine through a dirty window like a light shines through a clean window. No longer receives the light of truth. The mind has become polluted so that even innocent words or actions can be turned impure and unholy. To a defiled conscience, purity has lost all value. I read a fascinating story last week about the conscience and You know John Huss, you've heard probably of John Huss. He was burned at the stake as a heretic for preaching the word of God. And when he was burned, the day he was burned, they tied him to the post. They started to put wood. A poor widow brought a bundle of wood, asked that it would be put on the pile right up close to the stake to which he was tied. And John Huss said to her, Woman, what have I done to you or yours? that make you hate me so. And this is what she said. You're a heretic. I am poor and can ill afford the price of this bundle. But to burn a heretic is a good work. And in that work I want to share. Such is conscience. Conscience said to John Huss, give your body to be burned. Conscience said to the woman, give your bundle to burn him. Defiled conscience. See what I mean? A defiled conscience is not a safe guide. This must always be our guide. As we allow the word of God to be our guide, it will shape and it will build a good conscience within us. A person with a good conscience finds that his conscience will help keep him from making foolish decisions. A person with a defiled conscience has a mind that has become polluted. And so the decisions he makes that he insists are perfectly fine are often foolish and hurtful to others. A defiled conscience. And then if you'll go to Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, a third type of conscience that we find is an evil conscience, an evil conscience. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 23, or 22 actually. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. He is faithful that promise. Now, a defiled conscience would be one that is a result of an occasional allowance of sin. A bad, filthy movie, a bad uh, or dirty joke, spending time with wrong people, allowing an occasional allowance of sin. An evil conscience would be allowing or would be the result of a habitual allowance of sin in our life. So we can defile the conscience by occasional evil in our life, but if it's an evil conscience, that's going to be habitual allowance of sin. One of the most tragic examples of this in Scripture, I believe, is Lot. The Bible tells us that Lot was a believer. It says he was a righteous man. By the way, it wasn't righteous because of how he lived. He was righteous because he was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ who was righteous. But Lot made some disastrous choices in his life. And they damaged his conscience in an awful way. Second Peter 2, 7 and 8, And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and in hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. You know what that's saying? 
Every day, his conscience was defiled more and more. And perhaps you know the story. Lot initially just had a curiosity about the things of the world. In fact, his compromises began small. At first, the Bible says he just pitched his tent towards Sodom. The next time you read about Lot, he's in the city. He's one of the leaders in the city. And uh, he ruined his testimony. No one in the city even knew that he serves God. And the last chapter in Lot's life is a drunken act of incest with his two daughters. What a terrible testimony to have. It's all because it really becomes all the more tragic because of Lot's probably began with a good conscience, but he allowed it to be defiled day after day after day. His final demise, I believe, was a result of an evil conscience because he allowed it uh, that continual presence of sin in and around him. And you, uh, your defiled conscience, you keep putting up with the defiled conscience, soon you'll have an evil conscience. The downward progression continues, 1 Timothy chapter 4. This is where we go next. 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we see a fourth type of conscience, the seared conscience. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now the word seared means burnt on the surface, cauterized, hardened. Uh, a seared conscience has no feelings of conviction between what is right and what is wrong. You ever burned your hand? I, uh, of course, haven't burned it to the extent that some people have, but our skin, as you know, is filled with nerve endings. And I've met people before who have had really, really bad burns. And what happens if their hand is burned uh, badly enough, it kills the nerve endings in their skin. So the burnt patch of skin, though it heals and scars has no feelings and no sensitivity. It's seared. It's burnt. That's how God describes the seared conscience. You, as a Christian, walking with God, uh, under the influence of wickedness, can develop a seared conscience. It is first defiled, and it becomes so insensitive, it can become evil, and then it can become completely seared. If you are walking with God and you're in the influence of wickedness or wickedness surrounds you, it is highly unpleasant. It bothers you. It, it, uh, you're not comfortable in it. But to a seared conscience, that's their comfort zone. It doesn't bother them anymore. And can a Christian get there? I believe they can. I believe a Christian can get to the point of a seared conscience. It's really kind of like a prisoner of war enjoying his captivity so much that when it comes time to go free, he decides to just stay confined and, and uh, stay a prisoner of war. To a free person looking on the captive, we think they're crazy to choose captivity. But that's the position of a seared conscience. The person has lost the logical reasoning enough to recognize the bondage of their own sin. They don't feel it anymore. They're seared. Remember, the person who ends up with a seared conscience, again, once had a good conscience, at least a better one. I'm simply saying today, we can't allow simply our conscience to be our guide. It's got to be, sorry to Jiminy Cricket, but 
uh, it can't, that can't be our only guide. It has to be the Word of God. Somewhere along life's way, a seared conscience resists the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Soon that conscience becomes defiled. Eventually those choices become habitual. And the more wickedness is in the life of that person, they develop an evil conscience. But they continue to resist. What little conscience is left in their life. And finally, they end up with a seared conscience which is completely beyond and past feeling. I don't know about you. I don't want to get there. Ever in my life. I want to have a conscience that is sensitive to the things of God. Throughout his administration, Abraham Lincoln was a president that was under a lot of fire. Especially during the Civil War. The only... Uh, he was, you know, we forget, sometimes we think we're in a, we're in a time like no other, but uh, all the negative attention Donald Trump got, Abraham Lincoln got just as much. He, they just didn't have Twitter back then. But uh, he got all kinds of negative attention. <coughs> he knew he would make mistakes. But one thing he resolved is never to compromise his integrity. He made this statement one time, and I quote, I desire so to conduct the affairs of this administration that if at the end, when I come to lay down the reins of power, if I have lost every other friend on earth, I shall at least have one friend left, and that friend shall be deep down inside of me. End quote. Every Christian with a heart for God ought to desire a good conscience. So how's the good conscience developed? The Bible has that for us too. Uh, it tells us how we can develop a good conscience. I heard a story about a man who went to his doctor and said, Doctor, I've been doing some bad things and my conscience is troubling me. And the doctor said, You want something then that will strengthen your willpower? No, the man says, I'd rather have something that will weaken my conscience. <laughs> well, that's the wrong way to look at it. Paul tells us that maintaining a good conscience requires something that many of us do not like. Me, definitely included. It's found in Acts chapter 24. Verse number 16, if you kept your finger there, it's just one page over from our text. Uh, Acts 24, 16. It has within it kind of a dirty word we don't like. And herein do I exercise. Who doesn't like the word exercise? You along with me? Amen. Don't like the word exercise. Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God, and toward men. It takes exercise. It takes work. Exercise here speaks of effort that is expended and invested in developing a good conscience. Exercise takes time. And exercise, if it is done correctly, is hard and sweaty work. I go to the gym. I try to go at least four times a week and and uh, there's a lady that goes, I always get kind of a chuckle. She uh, sits, uh, there's a sit-down bike, and she's kind of reclined on the bike, and she has a book. And uh, you've probably seen her, Brother Nick, if you're there in the morning, too. And she pedals about this fast. And she's just sitting there. And if I'm there an hour, she's there the whole time, just pedaling about that fast. Probably does about a total of a quarter of a mile, I don't know, whatever. But uh, I'm thinking, that's it's good that you're here. I don't know how much is helping. Exercise requires some work, requires some sweat, requires some effort if it's going to do any good. It doesn't always show immediate results. I, don't you wish it would? 
You go and work out one day and you come home and you've lost that 20 pounds that you needed to lose. Some One person, a New Year's resolution said, I've made a New Year's resolution to lose 10 pounds and I only have 15 to go. You know, it would be nice to be able to lose it immediately. But here, uh, understand it doesn't always show immediate results. But you know the worst of it? If you don't keep up with it, our past exercise is powerless to help us in the future. Don't you wish you could work out on January 1st and it would set you for the year? It doesn't. Because the cheeseburger you eat on January 2nd undoes the exercise you did on January 1st. What happens? We need to continue to exercise. And it's the same for the conscience. It requires faithfulness. In the same way, exercising yourself to a good conscience, just like a good physical shape, then notice I pointed myself when I said that, uh, just like a good physical shape, it requires time and effort. It's an ongoing process. Exercise requires a goal. Zig Ziglar said, if you aim for nothing, you'll hit it every time. We achieve something by aiming for it. We set goals. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Those who compete in athletic events, and they, if they really want to win, they'll spend hours and hours and hours training for what will only take a few moments because they're working toward a goal. Those who strive to be masters of their trade, they put an incredible amount of time and effort and invest much of their uh, finances and everything in their life into it so that after 20 years they can be an overnight success. You know, we, It takes effort. There's a show on television. I don't know if you ever saw it. I occasionally watch it. I find it interesting. It's Shark Tank. And uh, it's where entrepreneurs pitch ideas to the investors, or the sharks. Occasionally, I always find this interesting, occasionally they get turned down not because their idea is bad, not because they gave a bad presentation, but because of the questions that were asked. And I've heard it more than once. One of the sharks will say, I don't believe you're invested enough. And if you don't care enough about your product, I don't want to put my money behind the product either. I think that's an interesting thing seen in the business world, well, we as Christians, if people will go to such lengths for physical and academic achievements, how much more should we invest ourselves into things which bring eternal significance? And one of them is investing, exercising a good conscience to help us to live right. For the Christian, the goal of spiritual pursuits, that includes exercising and uh, a, a good conscience, the goal is to please Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4.1 Furthermore, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how you ought to walk and please God, so would abound more and more. 2 Timothy 2.4 No man that worth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him which hath chosen him to be a soldier. I ask you tonight, does your life please God? Are you living a life uh, 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 do you have a conscience void of offense? I think many people view salvation kind of like a get-out-of-jail-free card in Monopoly. God did not save us out of the world so that we might continue to live in it. He saved us so we could live for Him, a life that is pleasing to Him. And we ought to exercise 
a good conscience. Exercise requires a goal. Exercise also requires discipline. The reason we don't like to exercise is because it requires something equally unpleasant to exercise, discipline. <laughs> I mean, that's where we have to push ourselves to the next level. 1 Corinthians 9.27, Paul said, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, that lest by any means when I have preached to others I, might shall, I myself should be a castaway. Now, Paul didn't get specific in that verse about how he keeps his body in, uh, in subjection, but I would assume, assume that he meant he would control the places he would go to. He would control the friends that he chose to spend time with. He would control his daily habits and what he would see, what he would involve himself in. In order to keep and maintain a good conscience, he established boundaries for himself and stuck to them. He said, I keep under my body and bring it to subjection. This personal discipline, by the way, that's what that is, is discipline, is what liberated Paul to minister to others. It's what allowed him to say to these uh, folks in Acts 13, I've worked uh, always with a good conscience. Sometimes we focus more on what we teach, what we say, than how we live. 1 Timothy 4.16, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, and continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. This results, this living, what we, uh, more, if we're more concerned about what we say than what we live, how we live, it results in a damaged testimony. How many of us have known or heard of preachers that have fallen, brought great shame to the cause of Christ, a secret sin is exposed. I always respond several ways. It always it scares me to death when I hear it. That's the first step. It just tr makes me tremble sometimes. And uh, But I always just, how in the world does this happen? How does that happen? Well, 1 Timothy 4.16 answers it. They didn't take heed to themselves. Uh, this personal discipline is not a matter of willpower to do right. It's our response to God's working in us. God works in us and we're commanded to work out what he has worked in. Philippians 2.12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You may ask the question, is Christian growth God's work or my work? The answer is yes, it certainly is. It is God's work, but it's also our work. It's our effort, our discipline in it. It's a divine and human synergy. God's grace works in us through salvation to give us the power to choose to live disciplined lives. And all this works to build a good conscience. This has two components. We need to, want, number one, die to self. To exercise a good conscience, you have to die to self. Because, simple reason, our flesh doesn't want good things. We don't want good things. Our flesh doesn't. And so, to exercise a good conscience, we've got to die to self, what our flesh wants. Now, if you question whether your flesh wants good things or bad things, it's going to open up in just a few days. Go to the Pizza Ranch Buffet. Pick up your plate. Walk up to it. And what are you going to be inclined to pick up? The beets? Probably not. The chicken? Oh, amen. That's what we want. Our body doesn't want good things. We don't want things that are good for us. Our body, our flesh wants bad things. So 
to exercise a good conscience, you've got to die to self. You have to, to make that happen. Paul mentioned this in 1 Corinthians 9.27 when he said, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. That's the only way we're going to build a good conscience. Victorious living in Christ demands that we recognize our old sin nature has been crucified with Christ. We say no to our fleshly and sinful impulses in our life. Secondly, we're to be filled with the Spirit. Not only to put off the sins of the flesh, but allow the Holy Spirit to control our lives. Ephesians 5.18 Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. Sometimes a leader, Christian leader, will lay parents do this too, lay aside self in order to be effective for Christ. Got a pop quiz question for you. You've ever heard the, the, the phrase, no pain, no gain? Who's the first person to say that? You know who that was? Anybody? That's all right, I didn't know either. Benjamin Franklin, would you believe it? Benjamin Franklin said there are no gains without pains. Just as physical exercise requires discipline, so does spiritual exercise. It, it, it says no to anything that hinders. It says yes to anything that aids. And guess what? The things that hinder are a lot more appealing than the things that aid, aren't they? That's just the way our flesh operates. But this will build a good conscience as we are filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit. And back in Acts chapter 24, verse 16, again, and herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Now, a conscience void of offense, it's important that we display that before men. Paul's good conscience was toward God and toward men. He was aware that God saw it, understood that, but he was also aware that others could see it too. This is important as well. People will eventually see the results of us building a good conscience toward God. The conscience void of offense toward God is someone who has no unconfessed sin in their life. Everything is right between you and your Savior. That's a conscience void of offense before God. Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. God is not as impressed with your outward achievements as he is with your, uh, or, or your, even your appearance of godliness as he is with your heart. He sees what others cannot see. One way, uh, one man put it the way when God measures, uh, the, measures a man, he puts the tape around the heart. That's how God will measure us. Is your heart pure before the Lord today? If not, ask him to cleanse it. 1 John 1, 9. And then toward men. Some people, I've heard this, in fact, it's more prevalent in a social media age. I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I don't mean to be mean, but that is an ignorant statement. Of course, I, that should not rule your actions. That should not guide your life. But it does matter what people think about you. The Bible says a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, than silver and gold, the Bible says. So it, of course, matters what people... We should care what our testimony says about us. We're vessels. Uh, that God has chosen to shine His light in a lost and dying world. Matthew 5.14 Ye are the light of the world. One, uh, Our light in this dark world is manifested in our testimonies. In other words, how do we shine that light? With our testimonies. With our lives. With our actions. With our words. You cannot have the right testimony toward men if there is no difference between you and the world. It's that simple. 2 Corinthians 4.2 speaks of this sanctification process as a manifestation of the truth. 
as we grow in Christ, it is manifested or seen by others. Paul lived so that any honest observer in his, that, that looked at his life, they knew he was genuine. Now, I don't care if everybody always agrees with me, but I do care that they know that I believe what I say I believe. I want my life to match up with my words, amen? And so that is all a part of having a conscience, a good conscience, void of offense. The world, we talked about this in discipleship tonight, but the world has a higher standard for Christians than some, some Christians do. And uh, they know how we should live. They know how you ought to live. If you are working around worldly or lost people, or you have lost people in your family, or you have contact with people, they know how Christians ought to live. Let us show them a life that's honoring to Christ. To your unsaved friends, if they don't know that you're a Christian, I don't believe you have a good conscience before men. Because we are to be that light. And that's what Paul meant when he said he has a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. How's your conscience this evening? It's good. It is defiled. It is evil. Or it is seared. Well, we we got to put some attention to that, don't we? That's the, that's the digression. That it, it can start good, and then it can be defiled. And if we allow it to keep going, we continue to allow the defilement in, it can become evil. And then if we allow the evil unchecked, soon it will become seared. And that's when it doesn't even bother you anymore. And that's where you don't want to be ever in life. Let's pray and ask God to give us a good conscience. Father, we